for sending your son, your only son. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord. today, New Mission, I bring greetings of grace and peace from the brothers and sisters at Marymount Community Church, and we, uh, we bless you in the name of Jesus. And some of us are here, uh, you can tell they're the ones that got little halos uh, that are all glowing on top of them over there. It's kind of bright in here, though. You might not be able to see them. Um, I am so honored to be able to bring God's word this morning to you. Um, as has been mentioned, I met uh, your pastor in 2013, and I, I was so honored when he asked me uh, to preach this morning. And I knew instantly that this was a divine appointment, and I knew instantly that uh, the topic would be friendship. Uh, friendship with one another and friendship with Jesus. And uh, to you, he's a husband and a father and a pastor, um, a shepherd, um, a man of God, a man of the word of God. Um, and to me, he's, he's all of that, but mostly he's just my friend. He's my friend. He's my friend. And if I didn't get a transfusion from the Lord 20 years ago in China, I wouldn't even know what that means. And I'm going to say something now I will say to my congregation quite often. If you knew everything God knew about me, you wouldn't listen to a word I said. Amen? Amen? But he knows, and he has sent me here today with his blessing. So, brother, I uh, greet you in the name of Jesus. Lady Portia, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is more precious than rubies. Bless you. Bless you. Bless your family and this whole congregation. You know, over the past several months, as Tracy and I have been fellowshipping, he's been telling me there have been a number of funerals in this church. Um, it... it uh, these things happen as, as, as churches uh, transform and the next generation. Wasn't it great to have the next generation yeah. singing this morning? Yeah. Passing the baton. Passing the baton. We have to pass the baton to the next generation. And uh, as we've been fellowshipping, there's been all these funerals. And this happened in my first few years at our church. The average age of our church was 60 when I started. And 10 years later, it's 35. And uh, uh, I just was really blessed by the way Pastor Tracy uh, thought about funerals, thought about the people, served the people. Um, it's a way that you know you have a great shepherd. And, um, you know, this congregation is like an ark. It's like an ark. And I feel like with all these funerals he's been having, we ought to rename this church Promotion Church. There's so many people getting promoted out of here. This is the place to be, right? Amen? Yeah. And you got your very own Noah here steering the ship. And the Lord himself shut the door. Keep you all safe. Praise God. Well, as I pondered the topic of friendship, my heart immediately went to the book of Proverbs. 
So you can open up your Bibles in the book of Proverbs. And uh, I'm just going to read one verse for now to get us started. And then uh, I'm going to be dealing with several verses. But uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. And I'm going to be uh, reading out of the uh, New International Version. And it says this, A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Father God, would you uh, plant your word and water it and make it grow into a glorious harvest for your use in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What makes friendship unique is that it crosses over all different aspects of culture. If you look at a conservative culture, the primary love that will be manifested in that culture is sorge, or the love of family. If you look at a liberal culture, the primary love that will be celebrated is the erotic love. If you look at a Marxist or communist culture, the primary love will be love of uh, love of the state, love of uh, the nation, so to speak. Friendship crosses all of those boundaries. Friendship is a love that covers each and every one of these things. And uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, I will receive from my friend not what they have, but what they are. So, I want to talk today about the four aspects of friendship that we can get. And what's amazing about God's word is if you look up the word friendship, I'm going to take you through the book of Proverbs, 15 citations about friendship. And they are in order going to speak today's message, uh, which is that God has a high value on friendship and in fact wants to be our friend. He wants to be your friend. And if you came here this morning looking from a word from the Lord, the word from the Lord is this, I want to be your friend. And there is a very precise way to go about that that we're going to look at. But the four things about friendship that I want to highlight as we go through these scriptures in order is first of all, friendship is, it requires us, is about choosing wisely. Choosing wisely. Once we've done that, the second thing about friendship love is we got to commit entirely to that friendship. The third is in a friendship relationship, we need to be caring purely. And then finally, in a friendship, we need to calling, we need to be calling scripturally. We need to be calling scripturally to bring out the very best in our friends. So choosing wisely, committing entirely, caring purely, and calling scripturally. Let me start with number one, choosing wisely. We cannot be friends with everyone. The only one who can do that is Jesus. We are not able. We are limited. And so as we read earlier, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's so important that we watch who our friends are. That we choose wisely. Who we associate with, what we we run after, will affect our character. So we need to associate ourselves wisely with righteous people. And when you are unity in unity and when you're with good friends, they can, you know, I said this about my son, a young, my second son, when he was young, he was a leader. And I said, you know what, he's either going to lead people into very good places or he's going to lead people into very bad places. <laughs> By God's grace, 
after 22 years of leading them mostly into bad places, God got a hold of him, reached over, pulled him out of the pit. And now I, I'm, I'm just so blessed by how he uses leadership gift to lead people to Jesus. That, that is a righteous man, and, and he has become cautious in his friendship. Now, when I met Tracy for the first time, we were in the parking lot here for the prayer walk. Now, in his biography here in your program, it says, Tracy Ventus is one of the best-kept secrets in the tri-state area. <laughs> when people hear him, they say, where did this guy come from? Where has he been? That was the feeling I had. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, beautiful essay called Four Loves, he describes the four loves that I've referred to. The tip, he says this, the typical expression opening up a friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, perhaps little regarded by others, is of great importance, can be our friend. And that's what happened that morning. I said, where has this guy been? And then instantly, Acts chapter 4, 13 came to my mind. When they looked at these men, they noticed that they had been with Jesus. This guy has been with Jesus. This guy prays the word of God. That was so encouraging to me. And I believe God just brought us together in that place of praying in the spirit, the promises of God, the truth of God, because we care not just about pastoring our churches, but we care about pastoring our communities. And as we took that first walk together, I knew this was a brother I wanted to spend more time with and get to know. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So choosing wisely leads us into this uh, connection that we have. And we're operating in the spiritual realm. We're operating by the spirit. We're not operating according to the flesh. So in the book of Proverbs, it goes on because it gives us uh, some warnings. And there's, there's a number of warnings on this point about choosing wisely. Uh, first of all, in chapter 14, verse 20, it says, The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Now, in this book of wisdom, rich refers, of course, to money, but also it refers to richness in character. Uh, richness in spirit, richness in wisdom. This is, uh, this is the, the, the part where we see that uh, a man with many friends will, will have these riches. I saw riches um, in Tracy. In chapter 16, verse 28, the next citation is this. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. You know, we can be in the beginning stages of a friendship with someone, but if, if, if they are always talking about other people or that church over there or whatever it is, your antenna have to go up. Your antenna have to go up because God's got a lot of friends. And we may not like the way they do things, but Jesus is pretty fussy about his bride. And he knows. And so this idea of a gossip separating friends is a terrible scourge in the body of Christ. It's awful. Can you imagine? Go back to me to Genesis chapter 45. Could you imagine... When it, Jacob and his sons came back down to Egypt, 
Could you imagine if Joseph had been blabbing to Pharaoh, you wouldn't believe my brothers. They're nasty. Those guys left me for dead. Can you imagine what would have happened to those guys if they had walked into town and, Pharaoh, and Joseph had been gossiping to Pharaoh? They would be wiped out. And the Bible would end in Genesis 45. But praise God, he was not a gossiper. Praise God, even though he was in jail and even though he was mistreated, even though the cupbearer forgot all about him, and even though his brothers left him for dead, he was a man who would not gossip. He was a righteous man. He was a man who was a good friend. A good friend. Joseph. Joseph is just, he forgave. You know, to be a person who doesn't gossip, you actually have to get the poison out of your system. And the only way to get the poison out of your system is to forgive, is to go to the cross and to receive the blood. The blood. The blood. That is the only way. Now we go on into chapter 17, verse 9, and the next citation on friendship is this. He who co covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Almost exactly the same point as verse 16, verse, chapter 16, verse 28. Again, we think of Joseph. I have a, a very good friend who is exactly like this. Um, he is not repeating offenses. We have a friendship based on our love of writing. He loves to write children's stories, and I love to write sermons. So I read his children's stories, and when he can, he listens to my sermons. We don't live near each other. He's always accepting of my failures. And he's not repeating things in other contexts, but he is my friend. And we're united in a love of writing. So choose your friends wisely. Wisely. Number two, once you've chosen your friends wisely, commit entirely. Chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. See, we have to commit entirely because we can't be friends halfway. Halfway is not a friend. Halfway is an acquaintance. Sometimes halfway is family. Sometimes, sometimes it's your enemy, but you can't be a friend if you're not committed entirely. Emerson wrote this, the essence of friendship is entireness, a total magnanimity and trust. Entireness, commit entirely. When I look at the scriptures, I see David and Jonathan. What a beautiful friendship. A costly friendship. A costly friendship. It was a friendship anchored in biblical love. It was a friendship that escaped the soulish bonds of blood family, of natural family. It was a friendship that transcended generations. As David was faithful to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, for generations he ate at his table, it says. It wasn't just a out there friendship, but it was at my table friendship. At my table. We can tell a lot about our friendships if we can be around the table. Do you know in the Middle East, when uh, they have a meal, they often will have a meal for reconciliation. It's called a solha meal. So there was a story in Israel of a, of a Jewish man who ran over, by accident, a young Arab boy. And the Arab boy, that's enough to start a war over there. But that Arab believer forgave that Jewish man and invited that Jewish man to his house, and they had a sulha, 
They had a meal of reconciliation. This is the kind of entirely committed friendship that David and Jonathan had at the table and for generations. That's exactly the same meal we have when we have communion here. By the blood and body of Christ, his death, the Father reunites us to himself as a family. But more importantly, we become friends. We go from enemies to friends. So this, this idea of committing entirely, it has obstacles. There's a lot of obstacles. Let's go up to chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now you can look at different translations there. A man of many companions can also be restated or translated as a man of unreliable friends. These are friends who are not entirely committed. Now, why would we not be entirely committed? Well, we might have an agenda. What can I get? What can I get? So, skip forward to chapter 19, verses 4. I'm going to read 4, 6, and 7. It says there in verse 4, Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. What kind of a friend is that? Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Okay. And in verse 7, a poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Friendship goes beyond wealth, race, position. It is a bond that is made, again, as I said, in the spirit, where we know, oh, you care about that. That's important to you. Well, here we have to look at friendship, and when we commit entirely, we are, we are actually deliberately saying, you know, God brought us together, and this is my friend. There's not an agenda except what God wants. Now... Money, look at all these verses. Money and wealth is a huge issue. Now, I've got two friends that I want to talk about. One is a young man who um, lives over near our community, and he has absolutely nothing. Nothing. He has a place to stay. He lives on a very small monthly stipend. And uh, he pastors a community over there. This, this brother is my friend because we love God's word and we love God's people. I've never asked him for anything and he's never asked me for anything. The Lord has prompted me to bless him some ways, but it's all been by that prompting. Our friendship is in the Word of God. Our friendship Amen. is in the people of God. Amen. I have another friend who's at the completely other end of the economic spectrum. Wealthy beyond all imagination. He has a lot of people asking him to support this and do that and help me with this and help me with that. My friendship began with him uh, at an evening where he was hosting a function at his home, and we became friends. Period. And I don't run with the social circles he runs with. I don't do a lot of the stuff he does. But he's my friend, and I pray for him regularly and his family, just like I do with my young friend and just like I do with Pastor Tracy's family. We have to look at this commitment Peace, and it has to be birthed in the spirit. Yes. And it has to be uh, a calling, Amen. a connection. Yeah. Oh, you. Yeah. Oh, you. You're, yes. you're that. You care about this too. Mm -hmm. 
And we passionately care about this community. We are excited that these drug houses are going out of business. We're praying them out of business. And they're going out of business. The kingdom of God is coming. And it's coming through friends. Friends of Jesus who are friends with one another. Which leads me into the third point about caring purely. You can't care with mixed motives. Chapter 22, verse 11, tells it. It says, chapter 22, verse 11, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. Friends who have a pure heart and whose speech is seasoned with grace will have influence. Why? Kingdom. Kingdom influence comes from a pure heart. Right? Who's going to inherit the earth? The purity of the kingdom and the speech that's seasoned with grace. You know, I found myself 18 years ago as a new believer. And uh, my father passed away when I was 32 years old. And I found myself asking for a father. I had come to Christ in China uh, during a weekend retreat. There were some really godly people there, but I, I was planted back in Cincinnati, and I asked for a father. And my father's prayer was answered by God in the person of Jerry Kirk. He became my father, but over time he also became my friend. He was the one who said, you know, Dennis, I know you think I'm your father, and I am, but I'm also your friend. And actually, that's the part I like the most. I like the most about that. He has gracious speech. Jerry Kirk speaks graciously all the time to enemies, to, fr- to friends, to people who believe different things about the scriptures. He always speaks graciously. And he has ministered to presidents, two presidents. He whose heart is pure and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. Now, there are some warnings about this. As we keep going through Proverbs, it's just amazing how the word of God... By the way, you know, people say Proverbs is, seems like jumbled, all, he's jumping all over the place. But Proverbs, if you look at it from beginning to end has a theme. I'm taking the theme of friendship today. You can go through it and look at the scoffer and see what happens to him. You can go through there and look at the sluggard and see what happens to him. You can go through there with the righteous or the upright and you can see what happens to them. And you can go through there with the wise and see what happens to them. You see, you have to comb the book of Proverbs. You, and you have, to, you have to meditate on the book of Proverbs. It's, it's, it doesn't always just roll off your tongue. You actually have to think about it. In fact, this picture here reminded me, this lion. Um, this reminds me. When God told Joshua, when Moses told Joshua to be courageous and I'll be with you, he also said in that first chapter, Meditate on my word. The the Hebrew, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word here if you don't already know it. The Hebrew word there for meditate is Haggah. Say that. Haggah. That's the sound a lion makes when it's eating its prey. We went to Africa last summer and we we saw these lions by the side having an impala for breakfast. And there, there you, you could roll down your window a little bit and you could hear the sound. Well, this is what we want to do. We want to meditate on God's word. So look at this, look at this verse here, 22, 24. And 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Yeah. 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 
I used to have a, a guy at Procter & Gamble I played golf with every once in a while, and when he hit a bad shot, he'd throw a club. <laughs> like, literally, throw the thing. Well, on about the fifth time this happened, I'm standing over by the golf cart, minding my own business, and <laughs> a golf club comes helicoptering in over my head and goes right in the tree standing beside me. I did not want to become ensnared in those ways, so I don't play golf with him anymore. No more. No more. I'm not doing that. Now, go ahead to chapter 27, and I'm going to read uh, verse 6, 9, and 10. They're not right next door to each other, but they're close. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. In verse 10, do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Wow. So, first of all, in this idea of caring purely, we have to be really careful that we don't get caught up in soulish emotions like anger. And if sometimes angry people need you to be angry unless, unless they, you, for you to be their friend. Well, that's ridiculous. Who, who, wants to be, who wants to be angry so they can be friends with an angry person? Now, now once in a while, your friend is going to wound you. Oh, yeah. He's going to wound you. That's part of my fourth point, but it, it's here because I think immediately uh, of the contrasting uh, part of the verse, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, when I think of multiplies kisses, I think of Judas handing the Lord over with a kiss, right? Hey, brother, nice to see you. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. But remember the little Samuel, he got the word from the Lord. And Eli said, tell me everything. I want to hear the whole thing. I don't want you to hold anything back. Now, Eli was a wise man. He knew if there's a word from the Lord, he wants the whole thing. Amen. There's a difference between hurt and harm. Amen. This is what this verse is trying to say. It's trying to say wounds from a friend can be trusted. If a friend who has chosen you wisely and is committed to you says something to you in confidence that's truthful, seasoned with grace, it can hurt. It can really hurt. When my wife says, the other night when we had people over and you didn't get up to help me clean the table, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew instantly that she was hurting me with the truth that I need to be wholly involved when we have people in our house to help her so she can enjoy the fellowship as well, right? That's a hurt. A harm is when you're with someone who's leading you down the wrong path. That will harm you. So don't worry about getting hurt worry about getting harmed. Because in our way of thinking, the pain of the nails and the crown, on the crown of the thorns and the cross, that was a huge hurt. But it, what? For the joy set before him, secured for us eternal life. That's a hurt. A harm is to walk away from that into eternal separation from God. And then that verse 9, 
it's a beautiful verse. It talks about the perfume and the incense bringing joy to the heart. Obviously referring to that incense and perfume that was reserved for the tabernacle that you could smell all over the place. That you knew you were in the presence of God. And it says here, like that, the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. In other words, earnest means from the heart. Counsel means secrets. Heartfelt secrets. Wisdom given in pleasantness to us from a friend. That's another word there could be sweetness. It is sweet when we are heart to heart in, in getting the earnest counsel of our friends. And they're telling us the truth seasoned with grace. And then in verse 10, I love this, the friend and the friend of your father. First of all, it points out that you fathers who have sons, your friends, your friends can be a blessing to your sons. And their sons can be blessed by you. You see, if we have a friendship of men in this congregation, the older men can bless the younger men. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen so many times. Uh, my friend in China worked for FedEx. We became friends in the bond of Christ when I first met Christ back in 1996. He became a very big wheel at FedEx. My son got an interview at FedEx. He had to stand on his own merits. But once he got a job at FedEx, he has a mentor in the company now who's watching out for him. He's my friend. But my son is being a blessing to this man and vice versa. So there's a, a real generational learning here. This is partly what we were talking about, passing the baton, passing on this wisdom of generations. But then it says, look, don't go to your family who might live in Philadelphia when a hurricane lands here. No, go to your friends. Saying these friends who are nearby are going to be your friends. One of the things that happened to start my spiritual journey was an earthquake in Japan in January 17, 1995. And that earthquake almost killed me. And that got me thinking, why am I doing what I'm doing? It led to meeting Jesus a year later. But during the earthquake, all our families were in the United States. We, didn't, we couldn't get our families. There was no telephones. Some of the people in the earthquake just crawled up in a corner and did nothing. But there, there were bonds of friendship made in that earthquake as we got out of immediate danger and started taking care of the, the community that we were a part of. That's an example where your family can't always get to you. Said another way, you can't survive without good friends. I think God designed it that way. He designed it that way. Which leads into our fourth point, which is calling spiritually. And the last entry in friendship in the book of Proverbs is chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or a friend sharpens another friend. Another translation says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. Isn't that neat? Sharpens the countenance. The friendships that we have who will speak to us truthfully in the inner councils, these are friends that will tell us the truth. Amen. 
the book of Proverbs speaks all this wisdom about friendship. And right now you might be asking yourself, what kind of a friend am I? If you're not, let me ask you, what kind of a friend are you? <laughs> this was what I wrestled with over the last few weeks. What kind of a friend am I? I've lived in five countries. I've had to do a lot of leaving friends behind. Canada, to Australia, to Japan, to China, to the United States. I've had a lot of long distance things like earthquakes and birthdays I've had to miss. I've had to learn to think and feel and pray like a friend. Get out of my own self-centeredness. Get out of my own little problem and start to think about my wife, my children, my church, my city. This is now leading us to the real heart of this morning's message. And I want to introduce you to the perfect friend. And in John 15, he speaks loud and clear. And I'm going to read these three verses to you. Let, let's stand up for these three verses. John chapter 15, verse 13, 14, and 15. Let's uh, say it together. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Amen? Amen? This, you can be seated. Thank you for honoring God's word. You can be seated. You see, here is the ultimate friend. And the definition of that ultimate friend is the one who would lay down his life for his friends. That means lay down your agenda, lay down your preference, lay down your time, lay down your resources, lay down your talents. That means to follow the master who is the ultimate friend. Now, if you're here today and you've, you've been serving God, he, you know, Samuel was serving the Lord before he ever heard the Lord. Now, you may be serving the Lord, or maybe you've heard from the Lord, but it's been a while. Maybe you feel at times when you come here guilty, or you've just, ah, I should have done this and I should have done that. You know, the shouldas comes from the pit of hell. Because what, what Jesus is saying is, look, you cannot earn my friendship. Yes, you can choose wisely. You can choose me or Satan. Yes, you can commit entirely. In fact, that's the only way, is to commit entirely to me. I want everything. I want everything. Everything. And then I want you to care purely. I want you to walk in holiness and, as the brother said this morning, obedience. To walk in obedience. And then finally, to reach our highest calling, scripturally, by being doers of the word. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. How do you know you're a friend of Jesus? You're doing what he commands. Are you doing it on your own power? No, you're doing it on the Holy Spirit's power. See, he's given us everything for friendship, including his word, his spirit, his father, the adoption, eternal life, everything. You cannot earn it. All you can do is receive it. So if you felt like a bit of an orphan or you felt like you're just not enough, it's true, you aren't. But today, according to this word, Jesus is looking for friends. Friends 
who have turned away from the enemy and have turned to him. Friends who have come with nothing in order to receive everything. 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 Now, there's a quote that, from C.S. Lewis that is amazing because this describes uh, how I feel about your pastor. But for the Christian, a secret master of ceremonies has been at work. I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste. It's the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of all the others. Let us not reckon without our host. Whoa. So you mean to say that when Tracy and I met over here, there was a master of ceremonies. And he went, you guys got to get to know each other. You see, if I know Jesus, then I can know people in a totally different way. When I get my blood out and get his blood in, then I can go to another one with that same blood and say, we are one. We are friends. We are friends. Now, I didn't know you were going to be here, Dr. Smith, but I was, had a chance, because you were um, Tracy's mentor, to watch a few of your sermons. And um, I was really blessed. But I was really blessed by the quote of your mother that you gave. And it, it goes like this. It was his mother's theology of God. God is so big that wherever he moves in the universe, he bumps into himself. Isn't that awesome? That's some serious theology right there. That's serious. And he reached down and he bumped into Tracy and me. And he said, you guys get to know each other. So I want you to, to stand now. Because we're going to have an opportunity, we're going to have an opportunity to take all this wisdom we've had from the book of Proverbs. What is a friend? To choose wisely. To commit entirely. To care purely. And to call out the best in each other scripturally. That is the recipe for being a great friend. But it also points out of the Old Testament into the future revelation of the Son of God who would come and say, I am the ultimate friend. I'm inviting you into a relationship. Here's how it works. You leave your sin and your past and your unfulfilled promises behind. And you give everything to me. You just walk up here. If, if you've never done that, just walk up here Amen. and say, look, I have nothing to offer except that I want to be friends with Jesus. Amen. I want to follow Jesus. I want to turn from my sin. I want to leave my sin behind. Your sin does not define you. Jesus doesn't need you to get cleaned up. That's his job. That's his job. He just wants you to come. He wants you to come the way you are, with nothing. And he wants you to give yourself to him. And you can go from being an orphan to being a friend. Now, maybe you're here today and you are following Jesus. But you need a friend. I know of no better way to get a friend than to ask the ultimate friend for a friend. So when 
I showed up in Cincinnati 18 years ago and I went to my church, I went to the people at the church and I said, I need some friends. I'm new in town. I'm a new believer. And the, the, the leaders at that church found two guys. They both carry and carry. And for every Saturday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, for 15 years, we met in my basement or their basements and we talked about Jesus and what it means to have a friendship with Jesus. And they showed me how to be a father, how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to... And, and they were my friends. They're still my friends. One lives in Seattle and one lives in Auburn now. But they're my friends. How did I get them? Because I was good looking? No. I got them because I asked. So if you need a friend, you go ahead and ask. Or if you need a small group of friends to stand by you, then ask. And here's what I promise from the Word of God. That if you ask the Lord, according to His Word, He wants you to have a friend. First of all, He wants to be your friend. And then He wants you to have friends. He wants to surround you with friends. If you've been lonely, maybe you've even started to hide because of your sin. Friends can know your sin and bring you right to the cross and let you confess that sin. They can pronounce you forgiven in the name of Jesus. They can walk with you. So if you've got a burden and you, you need a friend, then you come up and just ask the Lord for a friend or ask Him from where you are. Father, we call out from the depths of our beings to know Jesus as a friend, to be intimate with Him. And Lord, we ask that you would help us in our friendships to choose wisely to commit entirely, to care purely, and to call out each other scripturally.